Welcome to ABC Storytime, where we tell Chinese stories to all the non-Chinese speakers. I'm Mengxia. And I'm Sean. What story are we telling today? Today, we are going to be finishing Chapter 2 and starting Chapter 3 of Journey to the West, Ji by Wu Chengen, translated and adapted by me. Enjoy! This is part three of Journey to the West. In the story thus far, a monkey born from a giant stone became king of the monkeys on Huaguoshan when he was brave enough, or maybe dumb enough, to jump through a waterfall. After about 300 years, he realized that he would one day die and set off on a quest for immortality. After years of searching, he finally found a Taoist master who took him in and gave him his most well-known name, Sun Wukong. Master Puti not only taught Wukong the secret to immortality, but also made him one of the most overpowered characters in fiction and mythology, and we're only in chapter 2. When Puti realized that being known as the master of such an overpowered troublemaker would likely reflect poorly on his own reputation, he promptly expelled Wukong, and that's where we find our monkey king now. Wukong departed from Sanxing Dong and flew toward the East Sea. The somersault cloud made short work of what had previously been a journey of years. Before two hours had passed, Wukong arrived at Huaguoshan. He reached the old familiar path to Shilandong and called out, Little ones, I'm back! At once, thousands of monkeys streamed out from cracks in the cliffs, from the grass, from the trees, and surrounded the handsome monkey king, saying, Our king is back! Where have you been for so long? A Yao Guai has been terrorizing us, stealing our things and kidnapping our little ones. We have been fighting for our lives. Good thing you've come home now. In another year, we might not have been here to welcome you. Wukong was furious. Tell me how to find this insolent Yao Guai so that I can take revenge on him. He calls himself the Demon Lord of Mayhem and lives due north of here, the monkeys told him. But he comes with the clouds and leaves with the storm, so we don't know how far away he lives. I see, Wukong said. Don't worry. Stay here and play. I'll go find him and be right back. The monkey king flew northward over a precipitous mountain with deep, crooked streams. Dragons dozed in the bamboo groves and tigers lazed in the shadow of the pine trees. Rocks like crystal and water like glass lay in treacherous, twisted paths. Golden flowers bloomed everywhere. The sound of voices interrupted Wukong's admiration of the scenery. He followed the sound downhill and found a cave at the base of a steep cliff. Words carved into the stone proclaimed the cave as Visra Cave. A group of little Yao Guai were dancing impishly by the cave mouth. When they saw Wukong, they turned to run, but Wukong stopped them. Wait! Go tell your king that the king of Huaguoshan Shui Liandong is here. Your so-called lord of mayhem has been terrorizing my little ones, and I'm here to challenge him. The little Yao Guai ran into the cave to report. Boss, there's a monkey outside who says he's the king of Shui Liandong. He wants to challenge you. <laughs> Those monkeys are always talking about this king of theirs who went to cultivate himself. That must be him. How is he dressed? What weapons does he have? He doesn't have any weapons. He's wearing a red robe, a yellow sash, and black shoes. He doesn't look like a monk or an immortal. He's just standing outside the cave, empty-handed, yelling. The Lord of Mayhem put on his armor and fetched his blade, then went outside, calling, Where is the king of Dong?" Wukong looked him up and down. The Lord of Mayhem wore a gleaming black gold helm and a billowing black tunic. On his legs, he wore plated armor secured with a leather strap. A general's embroidered boots covered his feet. 
His waist was ten spans around, and he stood thirty feet tall. In his hand, he held a gleaming dao, single-edged like a saber, but wider in the blade. He really did look like a lord of mayhem. What big eyes this oaf has! Yet he can't see yours truly. <laughs> You're not even four feet tall. You can't be more than thirty years old. You don't even have a weapon, and you want to challenge me? Guess this bastard's blind after all. You think I'm small, but I could be big if I wanted. You say I'm weaponless, but my bare hands can pull the moon from the sky. Come have a taste of my fist. He jumped up, aiming a punch directly at the yagwai's face. Mayhem blocked him, saying, "You're such a midget. If you use your fists and I kill you with my sword, I'll be a laughingstock. Let me put down my sword and I'll box with you." That's true. Good man. Come on then. The Lord of Mayhem dropped his weapon and attacked. Wu Kong dove in, beating punch. Good man. Punch. Come on then. The two of them pummeled and kicked, clashing again and again. The Lord of Mayhem found his size to be a disadvantage. It's hard to hit something so small and fast when your limbs are so long. Punches hit harder when thrown from close quarters. Wu Kong jabbed at the Yao Guai's ribs and walloped his crotch, landing solid hits. Mayhem danced away, grabbed his giant steel dao, and chopped at Wu Kong's head. The Monkey King quickly backstepped and then reached for his magic. Yanking out a handful of downy hairs from his body, he chewed them up and spit them into the air, commanding them with a call of "bien." Two hundred or so little monkeys suddenly appeared, surrounding them. Apparently, from the moment the Monkey King comprehended the way, the eighty-four thousand downy hairs on his body could each change shape according to his will. The little monkeys were too nimble to be cut with a knife or stabbed with a spear. They completely surrounded Mayhem, squeezing him, pulling on him, crawling into his pants, and grabbing at his legs. They yanked out his hair, gouged at his eyes, and pinched his nose in a chaotic muddle. Wu Kong seized Mayhem's dao and chopped directly at the Yao Guai's head, splitting it in two. He led the fur-turned monkeys into the cave and slaughtered all of the Yao Guai living there. Then he shook himself, and the downy hairs returned to his body. The monkeys that remained were the ones that Mayhem had kidnapped from Shui Liandong. There were almost fifty of them. How did you all get here? Wu Kong said. The last two years, Your Majesty was away. That monster has been harassing us and brought us all here. The monkeys said tearfully. These stone bowls and plates are all from our cave. He stole them all. Wu Kong ordered the monkeys to bring all of their things outside. Then he set fire to the cave, leaving it a withered ruin. Let's go home, Wu Kong said. Majesty, we floated the whole way here on the wind and don't know the way back. How will we get home? The monkey said. Wu Kong said, "The magic you worked isn't hard. I know such tricks too, and hundreds more. Close your eyes. Don't be afraid." The monkey king muttered a kouzue and harnessed a wild wind. Soon they had landed on Huaguoshan. The monkeys ran happily down the path to Shui Liandong. The monkeys in the cave crowded around, fell into their ranks, and bowed to their king. Fruits and wine were brought for a celebratory feast, and they asked for the story of the conquest and daring rescue. From beginning to end, Wu Kong told the story in great detail. The monkeys praised him, saying, "Where did your Majesty go to learn such things?" Wu Kong recounted his journey happily, then said, "Little ones, another thing. We have a family name. The master gave me the surname Sun, and my religious name is Wu Kong." The monkeys clapped and cheered, saying. The king is the first swin. We are second swin, third swin, little swin, a whole swin family, a whole swin nation. They all toasted the first swin with bowls of coconut wine and grape wine, plates of mythical flowers and fruits. What a joyful family! The monkey king brought back a trophy from his victory over the Lord of Mayhem, the King Yao Guai's big dao. 
He trained every day in the fighting arts. The other monkeys cut bamboo standards and made wooden weapons. They spent many days playing army, advancing and retreating, pitching camps, erecting banners, blowing whistles, and the like. One day, Wukong suddenly had a thought. If some king of birds or beasts sees our military exercises, he said, and suspects us of plotting trouble and attacks us, how would we fight back with our bamboo staffs and wooden dog? We need real sharp swords and spears. What can we do? At this moment, four old monkeys came forward and said, Your Majesty, acquiring real weapons is actually quite easy. To the east, past 200 li of ocean, lies the country of Aoi. There is a king there with countless soldiers and guards. If your majesty went there, you could buy or make weapons and train us to protect our mountain. Wukong was delighted. In a split second, he had somersaulted over 200 li of ocean and was over the city. It had six streets and three markets, 10,000 homes and thousands of gates. People were coming and going everywhere. There must be ready-made weapons here, Wukong thought. Why go down and buy them when I can just use magic to get them? He uttered the kojue and invoked the enchantment, then faced southwest and took a deep breath. When he blew, his breath came out as a frightful wind, picking up sand and rocks and sending them flying. Dust clouds billowed up, shaking the very foundations of the heavens. Sinister black fog covered the earth. Waves churned upon rivers and seas, scaring all that lived in them. Bamboo snapped and trees toppled, sending wild beasts fleeing. All business in the market stopped, and soon not a single person could be seen. The king of Alai retreated to his inner courts. The soldiers returned to their barracks. Statues that had stood for a thousand years fell. Buildings shuddered in their foundations. On all of the streets and in all of the markets, people hurried to shut doors and windows. No one dared to go out. Only then did Wukong press down on his cloud and descend. He stormed through the palace gate and straight to the armory. He opened the door and saw countless weapons, knives, spears, swords, halberds, hatchets, axes, scythes, whips, rakes, arrows, longbows, crossbows, tridents, and pikes, all in excellent condition. I couldn't possibly carry so many on my own, he said gleefully, but I have just the trick for it. You know what that monkey king did. He grabbed a handful of his hairs, chewed them up, muttered a kojue, and blew out thousands of little monkeys. They snatched up the weapons and cleared the place out. On the back of a cloud, Wukong brought all the little monkeys home. The next day, they continued their military exercises with their newfound weapons. These activities alarmed all the creatures on the mountain and all manner of King Yao Guai. Wolves, insects, tigers, deer, apes, foxes, raccoon dogs, badgers, lions, elephants, bears, boars, buffalo, antelope, green rhinoceros, horned leopards, giant mastiffs, 72 in total came to proclaim Wukong as king over them all. So we just finished part three of your translation slash adaptation of Journey to the West. One thing that's been sticking out to me as we've been reading your adaptation is, and I don't know if this is partly how you chose to translate it, or if it's the inherent structure of how the story was written, but it's obviously very different from you know, like Western story structures, right? Especially novels, which mm-hmm. is a fair amount of what I read nowadays, right? Like in novels, it's this back and forth of conflict and resolution and each each round of conflict and resolution kind of like gets worse and worse until you get to the end of the novel, until things finally like ultimately resolve in their entirety. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't really happen here and i can see that being more about how that was like 
how that comes from how you ad adapted the story, I guess. Because obviously there is conflict and resolution in this story. After all, it like was originally written like in an episodic fashion, right? So it's probably, I would imagine like every episode there's some conflict and then that conflict gets resolved and then it moves on to the next episode and obviously there's some conflict there and a resolution there, right? So. Yeah, so um, I think for today's episode, we didn't really cut it to where the natural chapter ending was. Um, we kind of started at the end of chapter two and then um, ended the episode kind of after the first third or so of chapter three. And so maybe that feels a little bit odd. Um, so chapter two of Journey to the West really starts right after Wukong receives his name and ends at the end of the fist fight with... Um, was it the demon lord of havoc so yeah that would be a more natural kind of like this conflict was resolved because we just beat this dude right and then you know chapter three would start and then he came home with the demon's big doll mm -hmm. and then it would get into this whole like what weapons are we going to fight with kind of arc that we're we kind of ended the episode in the middle of mm-hmm but you didn't chose, you chose then to, again, cut in different areas. Yeah, more for trying to keep the podcast a consistent length than anything. Okay. Another thing then that's also part of my expectations coming from Western stories is nowadays a lot of novels really focus quite heavily on... I guess I'd call it characterization, but it's like, you know, they focus a lot on like the inner monologue of like the protagonist and really digging into their motivations and why they do things in the story. And so as a reader, you get a little bit of a glimpse into what's going on in their head, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, this doesn't have, does not happen here at all. Right. This is literally at the complete opposite extreme from that where we never hear what anyone is thinking or maybe very rarely hear what anyone is thinking there's like no buildup of atmosphere when they're talking about the setting there's um in the original text there are like two or three words um that me all means said that and Maybe they'll say said happily or said angrily or laughed and said, but there's no whispering, there's no cheering, there's no murmuring, there's no, you know, um, said under his breath kind of thing that we get in modern Western novels. And actually, um, that reminds me that, you know, nowadays, like if you're taking a creative writing class or something, it's always show, don't tell. And this story is literally telling. Like, there is a narrator who is talking to you directly sometimes and saying, that monkey, look at this ridiculous thing that he did. Or, you know, find out next time on Journey to the West mm -hmm. <laughs> um, at the end of the chapter. Or, um, you know, like, so-and-so went off to do this thing and we're not going to talk about them anymore. Let's return to the Monkey King. <laughs> So it really is, it, it, rather than like being in the head of the character, there's quite a lot of 
it feels like there's a lot of distance between where you are sitting there and the story that's happening and really like the story is being written down in like i want to say 1600 and it's about events that happened like hundreds of years ago and so really in real time like as the story was being read by readers during that time period there was already a lot of distance from those events Mm -hmm. and it also just occurred to me too that Wukong and, and really most of the characters, most of the cast that we follow, just are not quite relatable in the same... They're, they're not humans, right? Like, Wukong's a monkey. He was born from a stone egg with glowing eyes. And, you know, he's not relatable, right? His origin, like, he doesn't have parentage. He doesn't have... Right now, nowadays, there's a lot of, as part of, like, characterization, there's always digging into, like, what was the character's, like, childhood trauma. It's like... <laughs> what childhood? <laughs> yeah, right? Like, Wukong kind of just doesn't have any of that, right? And so, it, it yeah, there's kind of nothing... There's not much meat there to latch onto as far as his character. And also, it also just doesn't make him very relatable. Yeah, I think there's... Um... Also, he's a monkey. Right, exactly. He, like, he literally, at this point in the story, has no morals. Mm-hmm. He's just like, oh, that sounds cool. I'm going to go do that, regardless of like whether it's a good idea or whether it's the right thing to do. Right. Honestly, maybe the only thing that's relatable about him is like his fear of death. And then he takes that and decides to go be immortal but then he also like takes it like really 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 far right and becomes immortal like how many times right like <laughs> seven times or something and it's like <laughs> um i don't know that, and that's just interesting to me now because i read a book called um shoot i'm gonna forget the title the god of endings right and and that was really interesting because it really flipped the concept of immortality on its head a little bit where it was about this woman who became a vampire against her will and was like immortal and how being immortal just actually really freaking sucked. (laughs) So it's funny actually, because so far, I mean, the people who we've met in the story, like the monkeys. So he was a king of the monkeys for 300 years you would assume that some of the monkeys died during that mm-hmm. period and like mm-hmm. no one noticed, right? Yeah. They just don't talk about it. Yeah. And then for the next, you know, like as it turns out, being immortal only sucks if you care about mortals. If like everyone you interact with is also immortal, like who cares? Yeah, actually, that's an interesting point. So that just actually means presuming, okay, right. So, so I'm assuming. Wukong's band of monkeys, they are not immortal. They are mortals. So in my head, 300 years pass, and that means like multiple generations of monkeys have come and gone. Right. And really that implies that Wukong kind of just didn't care. Right? Or he just lost like, wasn't even worth mentioning. He didn't notice. He didn't think about death until like multiple generations of monkeys had already died. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's like, well, maybe he just like... The old monkey says, oh, that means you've begun to find the way. Maybe he just hadn't become really, like, conscious at that point. He was still 
just a monkey in the sense that like animals don't really think about the future and we're mm-hmm. like the past and so you know like a monkey died you know a year later you've kind of forgotten and yeah as we see like really the conflict in this story is with other immortals right like with the buddha and with the jade emperor and with i don't know guan yu and and all these yaoguai and things like that right yeah we're not really fighting normal people right because he would just kick their asses <laughs> yeah what would be the point right um that's a nice segue into talking about yaoguai yeah because uh this was the first section where they are introduced mm-hmm. and Yaoguai as a concept in, I guess, Chinese mythology are kind of like oftentimes translated as demon in English, as far as I understand. Yeah, but there's not really like a yeah, parallel. It's, it's quite different. So a Yaoguai is most typically an animal of some kind that through religious study gains magic powers and the ability to transform into a human or an anthropomorphic animal. Right, and are they inherently evil? Because that's what demon typically implies. Right, so Wukong is actually a Yaoguai. Mm. So he gets referred all the time, um, re- referred to as a monkey Yao, like a Ho Yao, all the time by people who just like don't like him in that moment. It's kind of like a derogatory term, I guess. So like Yaoguai are typically evil or like at least mischievous, but I mean, Wukong is definitely mischievous. Mm-hmm. but it, it's just referring to someone who went through the process like wukong did um where he like cultivated in this case taoism and gained a bunch of powers through it and like learned to walk and talk like a human and now stands on two legs and wears clothes and typically like yao guai that you see they have the ability to transform back into their like original animal form and some of them also are able to transform into fully human-looking form. So think like Nine Tails, right? Like, wait, the Pokemon or <laughs> I found like the more like the Naruto Nine Tails spirit or something. Well, that's it's it's based on like a Japanese folk mm-hmm. tale, like mythological animal actually in Nine Tails, and yeah, yeah, yeah. also exists in Chinese as a nine-tailed fox that can transform into a very beautiful woman and can like oh, yeah, seduce yeah. people. Or like um, a selkie in like sort of the Celtic mythology, like a seal that turns into a woman. Yeah. Um, during the trailers for Black Myth Wukong, which we're both very excited about. That game used to hardly even come out. But um, like in the trailers, right, like there's there's Yaoguai all over the place and he fights Yaoguai in yeah. the trailer. So, okay. So like in the first trailer, there's... Um, you're like flying through the forest as a cicada and then like a bunch of what we call would call xiao yao which are like kind of the minions of the yao guy world usually there's like some sort of boss um literally they call him like da wang like big king um so like the demon lord of havoc here would be like the boss mm-hmm. <laughs> like a video game boss um but da wang also kind of means boss so below this boss there's like a bunch of minions who like serve him and fight for him and Typically, they're called Xiao Yao, Little Yao. And so you see in the game trailer a bunch of Little Yao walking along, and they're like, they have like the head of a pig and like a body of a human, and they're wearing armor and they have like hold weapons, and they're like talking to each other about, I don't know, drinking wine or whatever. And 
this actually, I think, came up also um, another game, relatively recent game, the last few years that came out from China was called Fist, Forged in Shadow Torch. And this game featured a bunny, like an anthropomorphic bunny that wielded this gigantic fist weapon. And I heard some discourse online of like, I thought anthropomorphic animals were supposed to be cute. Yeah. Not realizing that this is like a very Lehigh bunny, like a very fierce and powerful bunny that like probably cultivated Buddhism or Taoism for years to get to the state and now is probably immortal and very powerful with their martial arts. Um, yeah. This is, yeah, oh, uh, again, another kind of like Western expectation as far as anthropomorphic animals, right? Like, right. Because they're all like cartoons usually. Or they're like ninja turtles. They're silly. Yeah, they're like Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe it's all Disney's fault. <laughs> or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay, so, so yeah, we'll be meeting plenty more Yaoguai as the story goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the one other topic we wanted to talk about was when they go into Old Swin... And this is a literal translate, literal translation, like Lao Sun, right? Yeah. So and I think for the podcast, I adapted it as first Swin because it sounded Sun. so odd in English. Um, but when but it's like Lao Sun, in, right? Right. Okay, so that's old. That's literally old Swin, but yeah. but the Lao in this case is signifying he's the first one. Right, or like the most venerable mm-hmm. Swin, senior Swin. Okay, so one? I'll just read the, the sentence in Chinese. So, like, he's this is where Wukong is explaining to the monkeys that they now have a name because he was given a name, Sun Wukong, and because all the monkeys are like his family, now they all have the name Sun. Um, and the monkeys are cheering and they literally say, Da Wang Shi Lao Sun, Woman, Do Shi, Ar Sun, San Sun, Si Sun, Xiao Sun, Yi Jia Sun, Yi Guo Sun, Yi Wo Sun. Okay, so literally, our king is old Sun. We are all second Sun, third Sun, like little Sun, a family of Sun, a nation of Sun, a nest of Sun. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I th- okay, so I want to say that being old traditionally in China is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Because I think in Western culture, if you say that someone is old, it generally means that you think less of them. Yep. And people don't want to be thought of as old. Whereas, actually, Sun Wukong called, refers to himself as Lao Sun all the time. He's like, when he's like trying to, mostly when he's trash talking, when he's like trying to be casual and he's like almost talking about himself like, oh, I'm not even that special and you suck even more kind of vibe. But it's it's just a very like, you would call someone Lao Sun if like you're really close to them and they're like a generation above you. Why exactly did you want to mention this part specifically? Or about like the this naming convention? Oh, because like our Sun, San Sun, like second Sun, third Sun, like in English you might say what that brings to mind is like Swin the oh, junior the and oh. Swin the third and Swin the fourth. But really it means this is how you would name siblings in a family. Yeah, yeah. And cousins, too, if they're in the same generation. Yeah, maybe. If you're, like, around each other all the time, you're always in the same group. The mm-hmm. second oldest one is Sun number two, and mm-hmm. the third oldest one is Sun number three. So, like, 
the monkeys are kind of saying like we're all in the same family but also we're all in the same generation which is kind of interesting they're not saying that like wukong is their like ancestor right he's they're just all kind like... of like on the same plane generationally sorry and this happened after that 300 year time shift right yeah so it sounds like wukong did not have any kids during that time <laughs> Do you think Wukong had kids? I'm making a face because I heard some like weird AU oh, yeah, sure. things, but I haven't read the whole story yet, so not sure. I don't want to say no, but I kind of want to say no. Because, okay, at the point where I'm at in my translation, he's about to be put under a mountain for 500 years and then he's going to be rescued by a monk and then he's going to be buddhist for the rest of his life mm -hmm. so after that probably abstinence <laughs> sure but yeah that already that definitely sounds like delving into fan fiction territory imagining a story of like wukong's children and all that stuff well i'm pretty sure that's I'm pretty sure that I, don't know, I saw a fan fiction that exists for sure. Oh yeah, no, I saw that trailer for that. There's a new Disney Plus show called um, I already forgot what it's called, but they got both Michelle Yeoh and Kihi Kwan to 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 like. I'm nervous. <laughs> oh no, it doesn't look good. I would not show you the trailer because oh. you would definitely cringe. Um, okay. I think it's definitely something about like Sun Wukong's son or something. Ooh. <laughs> I'm cringing already. Yeah, it it doesn't look good. Um but uh well, that's our opinion. Yeah. And uh and, and I only say that because you have very high uh standards. Maybe I should for... watch it just to make sure one hundred percent sure that I will cringe. <laughs> you hate cringing. I do. As soon as you start cringing with any T V show, you're like, turn that off. <laughs> I, I I love Michelle Yo. Oh, well. Sure. But then that means we'd have to reactivate Disney Plus, and for that, I don't know if that's worth. We can just watch the trailer, right? Oh yeah, we can just watch the trailer. Anyway, um, was there more you wanted to talk about with this? Shrug. Cool. Then should we call it a wrap on uh, part three? Let's call it a wrap. That's true. Good man. Come on, then. Why did my voice suddenly go British? <laughs> no idea what happened.